It was um, interesting uh, to hear our brother and sister moving to be near their uh, children. Um, we actually moved to Leicester so that we could be in the middle of the country. We could actually get to the northeast and back in a day or to the southwest just about and back in a day. But the added advantage was that uh, we could be um, halfway between our children. So uh, I didn't mention my wife this morning, the most important part of my um, my family. Jane is a nurse and uh, we have two children, one in Derby and one in Cambridge and uh, five grandchildren. grandchildren. Uh, so we feel very, very blessed indeed. Uh, isn't it great coming out of lockdown? Albeit gradually, it's lovely to hear you singing this morning. And, and not be afraid to meet together. In our passage, it says, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, when the door were locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. And their fear turned to peace. Deep joy when Jesus, whom they'd seen crucified, pointed to the holes where the nails had been. And and he lifted up his shirt and showed them the scar where the soldier had thrust his spear. He's alive. I do hope that you're never tired of hearing about our Lord's death and his resurrection. Certainly the early church were so overjoyed, they couldn't stop talking about it. In a sense, um, Sunday is the climax of our week when we look forward to some rest and peace. But actually, Sunday is the first day of the week. It's, It's like our refueling day for what lies ahead this week as we go and serve him. And so it was on this very first, first day of the week, Jesus issued the church their marching orders, and ours as well. And they are summarized in what I think is the key verse in verse 21 of John 20, if you turn with me to that. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So my message to you this morning is that in some way or other, All believers are sent ones. Mission is not just for really keen Christians. Mission involves us all. We're all sent by the risen Jesus. So I want us to think this morning, in what way does Jesus send us as the Father sent Jesus? I hope to show you five ways, and some are longer than the others, so don't worry. Firstly, the church's mission is the continuation of God's mission through Jesus. It's God's mission. I don't know if you realized it, but today is Trinity Sunday, in the Anglican church at least. and It's taken to be the next Sunday after Pentecost Sunday. One of the last things that Jesus said before his ascension is what we call his great commission. And it's full of the Trinity. In Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And, and so we notice there that all three persons of the Trinity are mentioned. And that's also true of our passage in John 20, as we shall see. Just by the way, one of the things that marks out the religion of Islam to be not only in error, but illogical, um, is the fact that they deny the Trinity. Islam is, is so zealous to maintain the oneness of God, but it falsely is Christianity of being three gods and therefore being blasphemous. Our brother has already mentioned that uh, you probably know that Islam has 99 names for God, but one of them is not God is love. C.S. Lewis, who said the words God is love have no real meaning unless God contains at least two persons. Love is something that one person has for another person. And if God were a single person, says Lewis, then before the world was made, he was not love. There must be more than one person in the Trinity. This is the key to God's mission. God is so delighted by the love that exists within the Trinity, Father, Son and Spirit, that he wants that love to overflow to others. So the Father sent Jesus into the world. So let us know that God is love and he loves you and me. So, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, there's an important caveat to our Lord's word, as, isn't there? Jesus sending us is, of course, not exactly the same as the Father sending Jesus. That was unique. Apostle John wrote in his first letter, chapter 4, verse 14, We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Saviour of the world. Jesus was sent to save us from our sins. Only God can save us. We can't save anybody. Missionaries can't save anybody. Salvation is of the Lord. But it does show us that our God is a missionary God. He's a God who reaches out to people. I think it was the Scottish missionary David Livingstone who first said, God had an only son and he made him a missionary. God sent his son into the world to die once and for all. That was unique. But my point is this, what he did must continue to be put into effect. And that God does by Jesus sending us. It's a very similar point that Luke makes in his second volume in the Acts of the Apostles. He says, in my former book, O Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. It's as if Luke then says, now I'm going to write about how God continues his mission through Jesus by filling the apostles with the Holy Spirit and sending them out into the world. And my friends, God wants you to be part of God's 
ongoing story. In Acts 1 verse 8, Jesus said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Yes, he said it to the apostles, but they didn't quite manage the ends of the earth, did they? Or the corners of the earth. God wants us to continue what Jesus began. So firstly, it's God's mission. Secondly, we have a mandate for our mission. When I tell people what I do, trying to recruit people to go into all the world and help Muslims follow Jesus, and I'm often asked, what mandate do you have? What right do you have to convert people to another religion? My answer is usually threefold. First, we don't convert anybody, do we? The Holy Spirit does that. Second, we believe Jesus' words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thirdly, surely we don't want to stand before God on the day of judgment and for the Lord Jesus to say to them, and for them to say to us, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me? So, just as the Ten Commandments are not ten suggestions, neither is the Great <coughs> Commission. It's the Lord who says, Go. I, the Lord of glory, am sending you with the same authority with which the Father sent me. All authority is given to me, therefore, you go into all the world. So I'm saying this morning then that God wants to send you somewhere to somehow be witnesses to the resurrected Jesus, to live and to tell the gospel message. Now, it might well be in Loughborough, which is where he's placed you here for now by his providence. But might he want you to send you further afield? Even to Middlesbrough, or further than that even. You say, Stephen, aren't you afraid of your message being rejected? Aren't you afraid of, of being opposed? Aren't you afraid of being killed if you go to nations who reject Jesus? Aren't you afraid of losing out in some way? Well, there's a lovely antidote to our fear in this passage, isn't there? And, and it's God's peace. Peter was there. Peter would never forget the Lord's prediction that he would deny him three times for fear. And three times in this passage, and I think it must be for emphasis, Jesus says to them all, peace be with you. Be at peace. The first bishop of Liverpool, J.C. Ryle, wrote this when he was commenting on this passage. He said, peace and not blame. Peace and not fault-finding. Peace and not rebuke was the first word which this little company heard from their master's lips after he left the tomb. The point of Christ's appearing 
was not to show that he had supernatural powers to appear and disappear. It was to show himself alive. It proved to them that he was who he said he was. The Messiah, that the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And as Paul writes later in Colossians 1, one of the consequences of Jesus being the firstborn from the dead is that we have peace with God through his blood shed on the cross. That is why we can know the peace of God and not be afraid if Jesus says to us, go into all the world. Decades later, when the Apostle John had that vision of the risen Lord Jesus, it says in Revelation 1, verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. You see, locked doors are no barrier to King Jesus. There are open doors into Muslim lands today. We need to go through them. To the church in Philadelphia, in what is now a Muslim country, Turkey, fiercely opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Lord said to them in Revelation 3.8, See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you've kept my word and have not denied my name. Brothers and sisters, will we keep his word? Will we obey his command to go? Will we go through doors? that are open today. Nothing and no one trumps God's mandate to go, Christ's mandate. Not the scorn and indifference of a post-Christian Western society. Not the threat of being branded Islamophobic. Not the fear of physical attack or suicide bombings. We've got to go into the world while the doors remain open before Jesus returns And the doors to heaven will be closed and the lost will be shut out forever. We have the the mandate from Jesus. Thirdly, we have the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. This is why Jesus sends us as the Father sent Jesus. We've got the same mighty power of the Spirit. Now, there's a lovely verse in Acts 10, verse 38, where, again, God's mission is described in terms of a Trinitarian act of God's love. Peter, a Jew, of course, is explaining the gospel to a battle-hardened Roman centurion called Cornelius. And Jesus, I'm sorry, Peter said to the centurion this. Listen out for the Trinity. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. As God, as Jesus, the Holy Spirit. 
But this is what we need. We need God to anoint us with his Holy Spirit, as Jesus was. That's why Jesus returned to heaven, so that he could send his Spirit to be in us and and with us. And so in our passage, Jesus says to these once frightened, now overjoyed disciples in verse 22, he says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And Jesus breathed on them. Oh, what does that mean? I believe that this was a, a kind of enacted parable about what would happen on the day of Pentecost. He was teaching them that he would never send them out into the world on their own. Earlier in John's Gospel, Jesus said to them, I'll not leave you as orphans, I'll come to you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Surely this is what we need. You see, people have hard hearts and they have stubborn wills and they're deaf to the word of God. They're dead in trespasses and sins. We cannot bring life to dead souls, can we? They're like the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel. It was only when the wind of the Spirit came to them that they came alive. This is what happened to the apostles. When they were sent out by Jesus, they weren't just filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. They prayed to be filled with the Spirit whenever they proclaimed the Gospel. And they were filled again and again. And and people came to life and they were saved. This is what we need. Because when we think of the task before us, the two billion people in the world who've never heard a reasoned explanation of the gospel, when we think of those 7,000 people groups still largely unreached by the gospel, doesn't it seem like mission impossible? But Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God because he's with us by his spirit. We need spiritual power as we're sent out by Jesus. So we must pray in the words of him we'll sing later. O church, arise and put your armor on. Hear the call of Christ our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong in the strength that God has given the shield of faith and belt of truth. We stand against the devil's lies, an army bold whose battle cry is love, reaching out to those in darkness. Mentions in that hymn, belt of truth. So, fourthly, we have the same message of the gospel. The same message. On the night before Jesus died, he he prayed for his disciples in John 17, verse 17. He says, Father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. It was by believing the truths that Jesus had spoken that the disciples were sanctified, they were made holy, they were set apart for God. Jesus was going to send them into the world with the same truth of good news that we have. And if you look at verse 23, we have that gospel truth in a nutshell. 
If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is a tough verse to get our head around, isn't it? Of course, as the apostles were sent into the world, they were not sent to die for sinners. They were not to reenact Christ's sacrifice. Neither the apostles nor any priest can ever forgive sins. Only Jesus can do that. But what we can do, all of us, is proclaim the message of forgiveness and reconciliation. And so I believe I can say with the absolute authority of God's word this morning, in the, in the words of the Apostle Paul to the Romans in chapter 10, listen, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Even you. You will be forgiven if you call upon God for his mercy. It's not in my power to forgive you. It's between you and God. So let me ask you this morning. Have you had personal dealings with the God of heaven? Have you ever poured out your heart to him and, and told him that you're sorry for your sin? Have you ever thanked him for dying on the cross for your sin? Have you ever asked him to forgive you and come into your life and take control? I urge you to do that if you've not done so. The message we proclaim to you then is the same message that's been proclaimed for 2,000 years. It's the only message that can save the world's nations. Romans 10 goes on to say this, How then will they call upon him whom they've not believed in? How will they believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching to them? And listen to this, How are they to preach unless they are sent? As the Father sent me, Jesus said, I'm sending you with the same message of good news. Lastly, fifthly, Jesus sends us to be his witnesses. I don't really have noticed, but a little way to remember what I've said is they all contain the word beginning with M. We thought about God's mission. We thought about God's mandate. We thought about the mighty power of the Spirit. We thought about the same message. Witnesses. Well, I don't know whether you realize it, but the word in the original is marturia. It's an M. I'll come to that in a minute. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. The Father then sent the Son to reveal the truth about who God is, that he's creator and sustainer of the universe, that God so loved the world that he's willing to give his only begotten Son to redeem us. Now God wants to send you into the world to tell the world that it is true what we're saying. Jesus died and he rose again and he's coming back to judge the world. That's what it means to be a witness. is to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I don't think you have to do it these days, but the reason people used to put their hand on the Bible as they spoke 
those words in court and swear to tell the truth is because they were saying that there is no higher truth than the word of God. And that's what we're witnessing to, isn't it? We've not seen the risen Christ ourselves. We were not there. But we can witness to the fact that the Bible is true. We can witness to the assurance that we have of the forgiveness of sins. What a peace with God. And we can witness to the power of the Holy Spirit of Jesus in our lives, changing us day by day. Witnessing. The thing is, not everybody's going to believe us. And many of the early church witnesses to be sent by Jesus meant them becoming martyrs. That's the word originally, a witness, martyria. People who died because they spoke out the gospel, but they just couldn't keep the good news to themselves. They had compassion for the lost. They had to speak. Do you see, this is, this is why Jesus sending us is quite like the Father sending the Son. Earlier in John 15, verse 20, Jesus says, Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. I don't uh, agree with everything they stand for, but the assemblies of God, missionaries amongst Muslims, have a hashtag that they use, particularly on Facebook, and it's this. It's all one word, live dead. Live dead. It is because they recognize that to be sent to a Muslim country might mean being called upon to surrender your physical life for the sake of the gospel. But in any case, it means total surrender to Christ. Dead to the world, but alive to Jesus Christ. Let me tell you by, finish by telling you about a, a man I, he's dead, but I, I greatly respect what he stood for. Samuel Zweymer. He was sent by the Presbyterian Church of America to be a pioneering missionary to Muslims in the late 19th century, early 20th century. He was called, actually, the Apostle of Islam, the sent one to Islam. One time, when he was working in Bahrain, before it became an oil-rich country, a typhoid epidemic swept through the island. And Samuel's daughters, seven-year-old Catherine, and four-year-old Ruth fell ill with fever. Despite the best medical care that the Mason Memorial Hospital could offer, it wasn't enough. So it is recorded that on July the 7th, 1904, Ruth died. A week later, Catherine also died. They're buried there. Before her death, though, Catherine had asked her parents to sing to her as she was dying a favourite hymn. And it was this. 
Thou art coming, O my Saviour, Thou art coming, O my King, in Thy beauty all resplendent, in Thy glory all transcendent. Well may we rejoice and sing. And Samuel and Amy could rejoice because of the assurance that their daughters were with the Lord, but that Jesus would never leave them. So they didn't go home. They stayed conscious that Jesus had sent them, willing to take risks for his sake. As the hymn writer puts it, not a grief, nor a loss, not a frown, nor a cross, but is blessed if we trust and obey. Where he says what he says, we will do. Where he sends, we will go. Never fear, only trust and obey. I'm asking then, are you willing to let the Lord Jesus send you anywhere, even to the ends of the earth? Some of you will be able to go. Many of you will need to stay in our country. But in any army, there are those on the front line and those behind the front lines. And our hymn that we're going to close with says this, O church, arise, put your armour on, near the call of Christ, our captain. Let's pray.